Hello and welcome to Common Rider Double A, a podcast where we see the madness that is the Common Rider franchise, and I guess our eyes burn out of our sockets in the process as we're exposed to the eldritch terror of Toshiki Inoue. Describing Toshiki Inoue as eldritch terror, not that, honestly, not the worst way I've heard him described. <laughs> Yeah, today we watched episodes 15 and 16 of Kamen Rider Kiva, Resurrection, Checkmate 4, and Player, The Rules of Cruelty. Yeah, we get to meet Adam's favorite villain, Rook, right? If there's anything good I can say about him, I guess he's got a decent suit design for his monster form. Adam was not a big fan of Dai-chan. No, it... It's, it struck me as a poor man's flowers for Algernon, where there's two sides to a man, one in which he's unintelligent but kind, and another where he's intelligent but kind of a dick. Oof. If we have nothing else to add, I we can go ahead and start recapping f- episode 15 then. Well, episode 15, Resurrection Checkmate 4, was written by Toshiki Inoue and directed by Takao Na- Nagashi. Uh, Nagaishi. Uh, he was a giant hand in the revival of Kamen Rider uh, for the Heisei era. All the way from Kuga to uh, Decade, he directed anywhere between like 10 to 20 episodes per season. He passed away in 2013, um, unfortunately, and, uh, you know, rest in peace. But he's, he's a very talented person, and looking through his... Uh, wiki page he had a he has a lot of really good episodes huh well that's too bad i'll be interested to see if there's any identifying directorial hallmarks he has in the episodes he's directed though i don't know if these two or perhaps just this one are very indicative of his skills as a director all right uh, also for the common writer ryuki fans at home uh He's the one that directed Kamen Rider Tiger's last episode, which is one of my favorite episodes. He's directed a lot of really good episodes. So we start episode 15 in 1986, with Otoya having just been the recipient of a beatdown from Jiro and Ramon. Before the arms monsters can finish off Otoya, Yuri comes running in looking for him. Jiro goes back to human form and tells Yuri that a Fengire was able to best Otoya. Jiro takes back the Ixa fist piece, and the OP rains meteors from the ferrament onto my house. Jiro's really banking on the fact that they hate Otoya and will never believe a word he says. Yeah, he's a little too dependent on that, because Otoya, while a womanizing, I don't want to say prick, because I've... I've come to kind of like the man. Otoya is just Otoya, but he has a sincerity about him that's that's going to make Jiro's plan just kind of fall apart yeah. at some point or another. But I mean, it's working right now. People are like, ah, oh, fucking Otoya stole the Ixa belt and got beat up by a Fangire. What a piece of trash. Let, look, he's unconscious right now. Let's kick him in the liver so that he gets organ failure. Oh, oh no, I missed and got his kidney instead. Oh well. Maybe he'll get a kidney stone in a couple months. Yeah, that's how blunt force trauma to internal organs works. 
Who knows how the Ixa system interacts with the human body? Apparently, the answer is poorly. Turns out it just gives you kidney stones. And that's why it causes so much pain. That's, that's why Jiro was so laid out after his use of it, despite being a wolfen. Yeah, he does seem to have a, a greater capacity for enduring its backlash, doesn't he? Do you think the first time he was waylaid and like on the hospital bed, was it just because his body wasn't used to it? Or was it because uh, uh, he was faking it a little bit? So people were like, hey, Jiro, how come you took like the kidney stone creating belts and like aren't in massive pain? I think it was genuine. I just think he has a greater capacity for enduring it because, yeah. he, you know, he's not human. I think he just has a, a higher limit than regular people. And now it's time for the introduction of... Adam's favorite character in this show. Uh, I didn't like this. I didn't like this at all. A man wearing the symbol of a rook chess piece is walking down the street. He says something about it being his turn to play a penalty game, and he punches into an electrical pylon. He grabs the wires within and seems to... At first I thought he was absorbing the electricity, but it turned out he was just electrocuting himself. Yeah, bitch be cray-cray. He then falls in onto his back. A salary man approaches him and asks if he's okay. And this Rookdu responds by showing himself to be a Fangire and killing the salary man. At first, I wasn't sure what time period the scene was, and I assumed it was 2008 based on how everyone was dressed, but it's 1986. In a hospital, also. Back in 1986, Yuri is talking to a bedridden Otoya. She admonishes him for trying to antagonize Jiro, but she also acknowledges that Otoya helped her in the Blue Sky organization, which from henceforth I'm just going to call the BSO. Yuri says that Otoya helped her in the BSO by providing more data on Ix's harmful effects on human physiology. Yeah, now we know even more about how many kidney stones it passes on to the average male. <laughs> yeah. It turns out the answer is 10 per transformation. Oof. Maybe you should have just given it to a woman all along, eh, Shima? Uh, do you know how horrible that would be? Like, at least men have, like, a relatively direct route. Wouldn't a kidney stone be worse for them? No, I thought it was... God, it shows what I know about human anatomy, but... I mean, same. I don't even know how kidney stones work myself. <laughs> this is a tangent. No, I think, uh... I think women have an easier time passing them. It still hurts, women but... kidney stones. Because it doesn't have to go through as tight the... Well, you know. Alright, so for people with, uh, uteri... Uh, not necessarily women. Uh... Uh-huh. But uh, apparently it sucks as well, uh, because it goes to your womb. Oof. And, uh, let's see. Yeah, uh, it just, just, just gets bad. It just gets really bad. Well. Kidney stones aren't good in any way, shape, or form. Man, I'm 29. I'll probably have one any day now. <laughs> uh, by the way, uh, the actor for Rook is uh, Tomohide Takahata. Uh, his only other major role is uh, Naoto Matsugura in Choseishin Grand Caesar, which was uh, a tokusatsu production by the uh, 
uh, by the Toho company, the people that did Godzilla in their attempt to break into the TV uh, TV market. And uh, it wasn't too successful. Like, they got three seasons of it, and they're all really good. And Naoto is one of my favorites because he's just a boxer who at first is, like, uh, tricked into thinking the good guys are evil. But then afterwards, like, I made a mistake. Now it's time for me to quit being a boxer and even a normal human being put on a cloak and just start wandering through the deserts in Japan, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and only show up when it's appropriately mysterious and okay. be and be like the enigmatic leader of my tribe even though okay. i am a mixed martial artist who up until let's say 2 weeks ago like had a thriving social life like this man saw that he had a shot at uh becoming a at becoming a wandering like ro- ro- ronin and was like oh hell the fuck yes Goodbye, <laughs> goodbye, humanity. Hello, cloak and desert. Wonderful. Yeah, I'm gonna uh, show up every four episodes and like beat the shit out of somebody and have me and my friends will summon our giant robot. Wow. Uh. Oh, and also, uh, we've been Rook is technically his name, but his true name is Creation of Heaven and Earth. Listening to the babies cry and the angry roar. Huh. I mean, I could see that he's got little cherub pauldrons and i guess they could be thought of as being in a grecian style i don't know i i will say that uh that a rook's uh name might be the most might be the longest because for a second for a second i thought it was just that the uh checkmate four were all like poetry type things but no rook is just that extra rook's parents were that extra but yes Yuri is telling Otoya that he's provided some data for the BSO. Uh, Otoya tries flirting with Yuri some more, and they do their bokeh sukomi routine again, and then we cut to 2008. Time for some crayfishing. Yep. Is that the right accent? Crawfish is how I've always heard it. Time for some crawfishing. That's right. I'm here in the swamps of Louisiana up for some crawfishing. Oh, wait. Oh, fuck. Is that it? Oh, fuck. It's a fan guy. Oh, no. Run. Run away. Run away. It's a pet. Ah! Uh, Wataru and Shizuka are walking along a riverbank when they spot a man who appears to be mentally handicapped, intently staring at a crawfish. This man is somehow the Rook Fangire, who has apparently become amnesic. In 1986, Jiro is getting another shoe shine massage combo from his monster buddies. Ramon lightly chides Jiro for dragging him along into a squabble with Otoya and reminds him that they can't afford to attract the attention of the Fangires. This triggers a flashback from Jiro's perspective. Yeah, it's genocide time. Yep. Uh, you know how last, well, it was two days ago, but for the viewers, it was last week, probably. I don't know when the next uh, Amazons will come out, but you said, oh, I guess the Fangires just had superior numbers in order to kill all the other races. Uh, No, they did not have superior numbers. They had Rook. Yeah, I see that now. Uh, It's often theorized, like, what Rook's exact job is among the Checkmate Four, because once we meet the others, you know, each of them fulfill a specific role in the court. But Rook just hangs around and does his time trials. And the 
biggest uh, theory that is out there that I've seen is that his job was genocide and he was that good at it. So now he just has nothing to do. Wow. Imagine being so good at genocide that your bosses are like, oh, I guess you're all done with the genocide. You can go eat parfait and murder people. He's pretty powerful. I'll give him that. In Jiro's flashback, a pack of what I can only assume are wolf and refugees are running through a forest from an unseen threat. They end up running into Rook, who transforms into a Spangire form, that of a lion, cut to Jiro running up on his now-massacred packmates. He screams in rage and sorrow, but gets cut off by the revving of Rook's motorcycle as the Fangire rides off. I'm curious, why do you think Jiro wasn't with the last of his tribe, or his pack? I think he was running interference. Maybe There may have been other Fangires about that, I don't know, were being Rook's entourage, and Jiro was taking care of them, just keeping them off the pack, who may not be as good of fighters as, as he is. So, too bad they ran into Rook. Either way, yeah. Jiro was a little ways behind them. Well, anywhere between five minutes to ten seconds behind them. Later, in an outdoor locale with cherry blossoms in bloom, Rook says to himself that it's time to start another time trial. He sets a timer for 20 minutes on his wristwatch, and he ambushes a woman wearing a pink coat, killing her. Later, Shima is briefing Yuri and Jiro on a fengar that targets people who wear pink. In 2008, the amnesic version of Rook is in Wataru's house. Shizuka whispers to Wataru that they should let the police handle this, while Rook gulps down a boiling pot's worth of shiitake mushroom juices that Wataru had planned to use as varnish. Rook asks for seconds, and Kivat comments on how weird this new person is. Yeah, but, he, but he's good. He, he's, he's a good guy, you know? He's yeah. friendly. I have problems with, with that, but... In 1986, Yuri is walking about wearing pink, clearly using herself as bait. Rook comes up on her, but his wristwatch goes off. At first, I thought it was signaling that his speeding time is over, and he, it technically was. He penalizes himself by electrocuting himself with some power lines. A passing jogger sees this and goes to check up on him, but Rook naturally repays this kindness by killing the man. Now, now I wish to bring it up. 20 minutes. That's how much time he gave himself for his time trial. In those 20 minutes, he killed enough woman in pink that Shima was able to be like, Hey, Yuri, Judo, I want you to know that there's a fangire targeting people in pink. And then enough time for Yuri to go out wearing pink in the area being like, All right, time for the bait. And all, all, and all of this happened in the span of 20 minutes. Like, I don't think it did. I think it, I think he just took the same time trial until he succeeded. Wait, he did yeah, succeed, no, and though. Rook, I'm, this is some future knowledge, Rook hates repeating time trials. Oh, okay, that, that, that's weird then. Shima apparently has the fastest, but, like, most obscure information network, where on a data point of presumably, like, one is able to tell that a fangire is targeting woman in pink, and where to go to draw the, draw your, draw the fangire's ire. But also apparently, like, can't identify the fangire as Rook. It's kind of wild. It's like he has 
a network of spy drones that are disguised as pigeons. Yeah, I mean, everyone knows that birds aren't real. He, uh, Shima just borrowed some from the Japanese government. In the hospital where Otoya is recovering, Yuri is visiting him. Otoya asks why Yuri is so dead set on killing Fangires, and she confirms that she wants to avenge her mother. Jiro comes and picks her up, and they leave, much to Otoya's consternation. In the 2008 Kurenai household, Shizuka, Wataru, and Amnesiac Rook are having dinner. Rook, though, has apparently forgotten all his table manners, so... You can't forget what you never had. Do, 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 you, think, do you think pre-amnesia Rook, like, would eat with a fork and knife? Or, like, chopsticks? He used a spoon for the parfait, so... <laughs> well, fair enough, but that's parfait. It's, ex- it's an especially gross thing to eat with your hands. Yeah. But, yeah, she's gonna Wataru show him how to use chopsticks... Wataru comments that Rook is kind of like a child in how little he knows, and that he and Shizuka should take care of him. They nickname Rook Daichan, and then we get tossed back to 86. I wonder what sort of zany adventures Wataru and Shizuka will have with Daichan. Uh, Just so you know, this is an episode that I misremembered, because I thought that... uh, uh, Rook's human form wasn't revealed in the past until like late in the episode, but like straight up the front, we know that Daichan is Rook. Yeah, and I, I think that's I think that's a good choice because it does ramp up the tension of oh yeah he's cute and bumbling for now, but when is he going like, to remember the moment he yeah. gets yeah when is he going to remember like who is he going to be around yeah. The past version of Rook is looking at a lottery stall when Yuri comes walking up. Rook asks her if she's ever won more than 30 million yen in a lottery, and she asks if he's hitting on her. Rook walks away, but not before Yuri recognizes both his face and the symbol he wears. She runs into Jiro as she pursues him and shares this information with him. My name is Yuriaso. You killed my mother. Prepare to die. Pretty much. Cut to Wataru's workshop, and Daichan, who I henceforth will refer to as such, in order to differentiate amnesiac Rook from regular Rook, is helping, and I put that in air quotes, Wataru's violin crafting by punching holes in the work-in-progress violins. Wataru scolds Daichan, and we move back to 86, where Rook has just run into a man who has won 30 million yen in a lottery. Uh, I'm gonna say this, even when amnesiac and innocent, Rook can't help but use violence on everything. All he can do is destroy, even with, uh, all, even with, you know, a loving area around him. Yeah. Rook eat- I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn you around on Rook. I promise you. That is now my goal in this podcast. We'll see. Rook eats this man- who won the lottery, and, satisfied, declares that he's going to treat himself for having won this private game of his. Back in 2008, Wataru is searching for Daichan, who has apparently run off after being scolded. Wataru finds him attempting to repair Delivery Girl's bike. Wataru helps Daichan fix it, and the girl thanks them and rides off. Also, apparently, uh, Wataru can fix a bike, which is pretty fun. And does make sense, because think about it like this. 
would Wataru have the social ability to fix anything that goes wrong, to call someone to fix anything that goes wrong in his house? Yeah, that's a good point. Like, Shizu- yeah, Shizuka maybe would have, but she pro- she only probably recently became able to like call a repairman to come in. Like, yeah, sh- for many years, he probably uh, was the person maintaining his ancestral yeah. home. That's true, and Wataru's pretty good with his hands. He's he w- runs the violin. Har har. He runs the violin repair business, and he gets work. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, everyone knows in two thousand eight, Tokyo was going through a drought of violins. You know, like it was no like there is the great there is the violin puncher, the man who just went around town punching violins, sometimes breaking them with a bat. Yeah, it was horrible, horrible, really. I mean, gr- great business for the violin repairman, but horrible, horrible. Tragic times. So they repair the bike, but while crouched down fixing the bike, Wataru's leg fell asleep, prompting Daichan to give him a piggyback ride back home. During this sojourn, Wataru apologizes to Daichan for being too harsh, and Daichan ap- apologizes as well. Uh, see... Wataru and Daichan do care about each other. Aren't we glad that they made up? They're going to be good friends. Daichan's going to be like the new Kengo. Oh, no. Don't don't you compare Daichan to Kengo. <laughs> also, Kengo not in this episode. And this episode is all the worse for it. Later, the delivery girl, whose name we learn is Eriko, is walking into the restaurant her family manages. She tells her father that she ran into a clumsy, large man who helped fix her bike. Back in 1986, Rook is treating himself to a parfait, only to have it whipped out of his hands by Yuri. This pisses him off, so he ends up knocking Yuri around, causing her to lose consciousness. Jiro walks into the scene and identifies Rook as being one of the Checkmate Four. They each transform into their respective monster forms and start strafing one another. In 2008, Chan tumbles out of an elevator, clutching his head in pain. A woman tries helping him, but he assumes Fangire form and attacks her. The Bloody Rose does its thing, and Wataru rushes onto the scene. Wataru, in what's a bit of a different move, hinchings directly into Garulu form and starts fighting Rook. It's not until this viewing that I realize that he uses Jiro to fight Rook. Like, presumably, like, when he went over there, Jiro was casting his werewolf gaze out of Castle Duran and saw saw Rook's monster form and was like, Wataru, summon me. Yeah, the shots cut from Jiro in wolfen form to Kiva in Garlu form, charging Rook. And it's I thought it was cool. It was a good use of the... Timesitions. We cut to the fight between Jiro and Rook back in 86. As a wolfen, Jiro was outclassed by Rook in every way, so he tries going at it as common writer Iksa, but even that goes poorly. One more cut to 2008, and Rook seizes Garlu's saber from Kiva and uses it to give Kiva a thorough slashing, and so ends the episode. Yep, so ends Adam's favorite episode of Common Rider Kiva. Maybe it's... I don't know, I'll get to it in the episode rating. But my writer of the week is Wataru. 
It was pretty noble of him to take in an amnesiac, possibly mentally handicapped man and ask nothing in return. Yeah, Wataru is a, a good boy. Uh, my writer of the week is going to be Kengo. He wasn't here. Because you, 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 you know he was doing some really cool shit off screen. I bet he made a few breaks in his quest for breaking onto the rock and roll scene. I think he... Oh, he, he, he became a legend in the indie scene. Yeah, you know? he found a manager who was actually an honest dude. Su- surprisingly enough, still a fangire. <laughs> but he's also really into being a music producer, like, genuinely. And they have a bunch of wacky antics trying to keep people from finding out he's a fangire. Uh, my, my actual rider of the week is going to be Jiro. Because ha- just having the context of him seeing his people having been slaughtered by Rook, like, inherently deepens his character. Like, he's still a, he's still a horrible person, and it doesn't condone what he did, but it does explain why he's driven like he is. Like, why he has such a desire to repopulate his race, because... He probably feels guilt for being too late to save anyone from Rook. Yeah, he may also feel lonely being the last of his kind. My monster on the week, on the other hand, is Rook. Apparently not for the reasons they would usually be on there. Yeah, everything about him rubs me the wrong way, from his sort of volatile demeanor to how he makes bets with himself on whether he can find a specific type of victim. Even then, I'm not sure his acting is all that great either. Uh, I'm also going to give my Monster of the Week to Rook, but that's because I find him terrifying. And the fact that this grown child is just going around, it'd be like, what if Superman was like a serial killer or something? Like, you cannot stop him, and the only reason people live is because he makes a game out of it. But... Before we get to the tarot corner, would you like to tell me what the hell Lucifer Metal is? No, I don't. But I will tell you about the... God, which of these haven't I done yet? It's hard to remember, because I did go on that spree of the... Uh, I'm going to tell you about the wolf and claw. The left hand. The fingertips have become harder and transformed into a battle claw that can slash enemies. By pushing out a sword, destructive power enough to penetrate 30 centimeters thick iron plate can be unleashed. Huh. I I do enjoy prefixes being added to the word claw. Like a sonic claw, a flame claw, the battle claw. You know, it's kind of funny because Basha and Doga, uh, they, have the, uh, they have the marine finger and the thunder finger. But Gaurulu has the wolf and claw. Which is just like, yeah, that's right, bitches. Wolf Jiro got the claw. Let's step into my tent. Let me take your fortune. Welcome to Adam's Tarot Corner. I'm giving the sun to Daichan, not to be confused with the real rook. Though, I think it works either upright or reversed in this case. When upright, the sun can be representative of optimism and positivity. When reversed, it could be indicative of sort of calling toward your inner child, and I think those are both pretty well representative of Daichan. I think that's pretty good. Uh, sorry, I do not have a lot to add to the tarot corner, because 
as much as I love the tarot, I only know them in relation to Persona characters, so I don't know how true these are. Also, it's too bad that uh, the reversed uh, son isn't, like, a good fit for Rook, because wouldn't that be a kick? Yeah, that would be. Uh, but yeah, episode rating. I'm giving this a 5.1 out of 10. This episode was kind of a trip. I don't think Rook's actor gave a particularly stellar performance for either Rook or Daichan. And the inevitable emotional conflict that will arise from Wataru learning that Rook and Daichan are the same person is... I don't know. It it feels cheapened. Yeah, I, I guess I can understand that. For me, I'm giving this a solid 7. And I'm going to be fair... Most of it is the Jiro backstory. Because up until now, Jiro has been as bad, if not worse, than the Fangire. And now we understand how he became that bad. And I think seeing that he's the survivor of this genocide makes the viewers more willing to see how he went from Jiro to living in the coffee shop to Jiro... Living in Castle Duran. Living in the co- he basically did live in that coffee shop. Uh, where he? I mean, he probably doesn't have an actual. He home. lives in that shack with Ricky and Ramon. Oh, you think he would live in the same place as Ricky and Ramon? No, Jiro is better than that. A wolfin does not does not bunk up with a Franken and a merman. Really? You sure? I'm- I don't know. I think he just sleeps on the overpass just a little ways above their shack like we see him laying on. (laughs) Anyways, uh, for our last uh, segment, viewership this week was 5.9%. Okay. And that's the end of that because it is our shortest and honestly most irrelevant segment. You're not wrong. I just like giving people the facts, you know. So that brings us on to episode 16 of Kamen Rider Kiva. Player, The Rules of Cruelty. Uh, once again, written by Toshiki Inoue and directed by the uh, man, the myth, the legend, Takao Nagaishi. We start with Rook cornering Kiva, only for him to apparently get a seizure and run off. Cut to 1986, where Jiro has just taken his lumps from Rook then as well. Jiro runs away and Rook gives the most ridiculous line ever. Just as I expected from a wolfin, only good for running away. Bitch, the only thing Fangires do is run away. Uh, I'm sorry, but may- maybe maybe that insult, Adam, would be more piercing if this wasn't the man who killed all the wolfin. This, we've seen the Fangires, even when they have Kiva on the ropes, or even Yuri or a regular human on the ropes... They never finish them off. They just run away. I don't... Well, maybe not everyone, like, is a murderer. Like, some people some people just want to eat. The Fingers are murderers by design. They have to eat people. Yeah, it, okay. Do, do you blame a wolf for eating a deer? Would you, would, would, you, would you have all the carnivores in the world subsist off of grass and bugs? I think the distinction here is between... It isn't the it isn't the Fangire's nature to consume humans. Yes, we can be angry and yes, we can fight back. But are we truly allowed to 
To judge them. Call them wrong to judge yeah, them. Yeah, I, I is think it, so. Is, 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 it inher- is it inherently wrong to want to eat people? <laughs> I think I think it becomes morally wrong for life to consume life when both the consumer and the consumee are sentient thinking entities that have their own agency. What a government pawn. <laughs> You're just buying into what the FBI wants you to believe. Yeah, the FBI has an anti-cannibal agenda. Is that it? But yes, Fangire's run away. Yuri limps into frame and notices that Jiro had dropped Ix's henching device. She picks it up and the OP strikes again. Ah! Yeah. Uh, so I, I just realized... Imagine if, like, one, t- one episode we got flashbacks to 19... Uh, like 1994 and like it was like not none of our like real cast but instead like an intermediate team that like used Ixa for a bit but like broke it in one mission and that's why it's uh broken and that's why it wasn't ready until 2008 again in 1986 rook looks over a group of skaters he announces that it's time for another time trial and sets a timer on his watch again in 2008, Wataru, Chan, and Shizuka are tossing about a volleyball, because I guess that's what they do in their free time. Uh, yeah, it's a uh, Top Gun, baby. I haven't seen that. Uh, neither have I. All I know is that there's a uh, montage that includes volleyball. Very homoerotic volleyball. Oh, damn, maybe I should uh, watch Top Gun. These guys are hot. Like, yeah, I, I like this. I like this very much. I mean, work that, baby. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. Oh, nice. Oh, I like this. Yeah. This is very good. Yeah. Okay. Oh, uh, oh yeah. I, uh, I'll, I'll be back in, like, 15 minutes. I mean, your, your professionalism is noted. And we're back. Okay, now that I got that out of my system, let's continue, Adam. Daichan sees a group of skaters nearby and looks as though he's about to recover some of his memory when he gets bonked on the head by the volleyball. Eriko, the delivery girl from last episode, comes riding up on her bike and she invites the group to her family's restaurant for a free meal as thanks for fixing her bike. Things are looking up for old Daichan. Good old Daichan. Will he find love this episode? Thank, thank God that uh, Eriko invited him to have a meal, you know, because he's been starving. At the restaurant, the three are enjoying what looks to be a pretty good meal. Daichan sees Eriko's dad kneading some dough. He offers to let Daichan try kneading the dough himself. Upon noticing Daichan's musculature, he offers Daichan a job at the restaurant, reasoning that having something to do would be good for regaining his memory. Daichan accepts the job, and we move back to 86. Rook approaches the skater kids and kills them. He did so within the time limit he set for himself, and so he decides to get himself a prize. And now for the best scene in Kamen Rider Kiva. At the hospital, Otoya has just been discharged. He's greeted by none other than Jiro, who asks him for a favor. Jiro tells Otoya that Yuri is being reckless and using Ixa to pursue her vendetta against Rook, who killed her mother. Jiro explains that Rook is one of the Checkmate Four, the rulers of Fengar kind. Jiro further explains that Rook is always playing games 
when it comes to killing humans with self-imposed rules. Otoya agrees to help Jiro take down Rook, but also promises Jiro that he will defeat him. This, this is so good because, like, these guys have hated each other literally from the moment they saw one another. In, like, you know, a misguided attempt to remove all that sexual tension they felt. And now, now they're, like, gonna fight together, and it's good. Like, for me, this has, like, the emotion, the emotion of, like, episode, like, 20, where, like, the, where the hero and rival are finally teaming up, you know? Like, it, it feels like the emotion behind this feels a couple episodes ahead of what it, uh, would normally be. We're next treated to a quick montage of Daichan and Eriko hitting it off really, really well. Eriko's father even tells Wataru he'd like for Daichat and Eriko to get hitched. Uh, may, the montage maybe was like over like a month or two, you know? I guess. Hey, it's true love, baby. They're rom-comming it up uh, here. Maybe I just don't like rom-coms. That may be the issue. I'm sure Eriko and Daichan will have a long and happy life. Oh, the longest, the happiest. They'll they'll be together for the rest of rest of Eriko's life. <laughs> <laughs> Later, Eriko and Daichan are on a date with Wataru and Shizuka watching. I guess they're proud of their son for getting a girlfriend. Uh, however, Daichan. Re- I mean, they, they 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 could also just be making sure he doesn't fall into a river again. However, Daichan regains a bit of his memory when he sees a nearby fountain. He recounts what he just remembered to Wataru and Shizuka. We cut to 1986 where Rook is having another parfait. He sees a little girl and her mother pass by with a couple of balloons, giving him the next idea for one of his games. And now for one of the shittiest moments in the series. A running a running theme of, no, a woman can't be... Co- I, I love Toshiki Inoue's writing for the most part. I could do without not letting women fight. Yeah, Yuri gets shortchanged a lot, doesn't she? Like she has, she has the the knuckle in her hand, yeah. and then they just chop her on. They karate chop her, and it's like, all right, now it's time to make sure that no woman gets their hands on this thing. It's dumb and annoying, and I'm angry. Elsewhere, in 1986, Yuri is accosting passerbys in search of Rook. Hey, did you see a big man with a leather jacket eating a parfait? Okay, no. Well, in that case, did you see a monster shaped vaguely like a lion with, like, cherubim uh, shoulder pauldrons? Okay, neither of those. Okay, have you seen a big idiot who call, uh, who's, like, going around having a rom-com with a woman who looks like she's going to die in 15 minutes? Otoya and Jiro stop Yuri from... Bothering people, I guess, and Otoya karate chops Yuri in the head, knocking her out. Jiro takes the Ixa henshin device and they skedaddle. In the 2008 Cafe Maldemore, Wataru is sitting at the bar when he notices Megami looking tired and disheveled. Megami explains that she's been profiling Fangire cases from 22 years ago. Keisuke walks in in what is apparently a strangely good mood for him. Megami, having gone a while, or having gone too long without dissing Keisuke, comes up and says that Keisuke should be training some more instead of having coffee, otherwise he'll just lose to Kiva again. Yeah, I, I understand the reflexive need to dunk on this man after having not dunked on him for long. 
Keisuke again says that it was Ixa that lost, and that Ixa will soon have a new power f- worthy of him. As the spat goes down, Wataru notices a photo on Megami's table of a red-tiled pillar next to a fountain, and he puts it together that this is the same fountain from Daichan's memory. In 1986, we're at that same fountain where Rook is assaulting some girls advertising a restaurant. For the first time, his ethereal fangire fangs miss their target and instead scrape the red tiling on the fountain. Which, like, it's kind of funny that the first fangire we see miss is Rook, one of the four strongest fangire out there. At the 2008 version of the same location, Dai Chan examines the damage on the fountain. It triggers something in him, causing him to clutch his head in pain. Seeking to alleviate his distress, Eriko takes Daichan out of there. I, I felt I always felt so bad for Eriko. Yeah, she she didn't deserve what happens. Like this is kind of the this is kind of like the Kengo thing I mentioned from last episode, where we know them for long enough that we don't want them to die, but at the same time, like we haven't known them long enough to know that they're safe, which obviously she wasn't. In 1986, Otoya and Jiro have found Rook just as he is about to eat one of the saleswomen with the balloons from earlier. They start fighting Rook. During the fight, Otoya dons Ixa and Jiro goes wolfen. Yuri even joins the fight, but they're all outclassed by Rook. However, before Rook can finish them off, his gaming compulsion gets the better of him. The timer on his watch goes off, compelling him to leave the fight and enact that penalty on himself. Okay, so I love this because a lot of the times when you introduce a powerful general level character, it's hard to keep them intimidating, hard to like allow them like allow them to have enough wins to be intimidating. And like at the same time, once the heroes beat him, it's like, oh, they beat him before. How come they couldn't now? Like, I think Saber has a bit of this because like Zeus and the others. I only remember Zeus's name. Storius and Legit Legendial, the Megid boy band. Their power levels fluctuate so wildly depending on the need of the needs of the plot, because sometimes either uh, like. Uh, either uh, Kenzan can like uh, 1v1 one of them or it takes five knights to not even match them but barely lose against them. Yeah. And and that can be a little jarring and that takes me out of it sometimes. But with the time trials, Rook is able to exist as an end game uh, level fighter and still be able to have a presence in the story in the first uh, part of the series because... He's a boss fight that you're supposed to lose against, but the plot will still go on without a game over. Yeah, like, be- because he will leave the fight after a while, then that means that he can beat on the heroes and not lose and never stop being threatening. And so it means that they can always have this giant sword of Damocles hanging over them of... Will Rook interfere with this fight? Like, we can take out any other Fangire out there, pretty much. But if we, but if Rook ends up here on his time trial as we're, uh, you know, as we're fighting this Fangire, then we're screwed and we have to survive until the trial is over. I think, yeah, that is a pretty good device. In 2008, 
Eriko is walking with a clearly agonizing Daichan. Daichan roars as the stained glass pattern covers his face. Quickly, Eriko, use the power of love! In Wataru's house, Wataru himself and Shizuka are worrying about their big friend. Right on cue, the Bloody Rose's strings reverberate, alerting Wataru to Fengire's shenanigans. It's like a horror movie scare court sometimes. Kind of. And I'm, pr I'm pretty sure that's what Wataru thinks of it of, because at any moment during his day, at any moment hanging out with friends or making violins or being socially awkward, it can strike and now he has to fight to the death. Living with that just happens like a sort of Damocles, as you said, that's got to be kind of horrifying in its own right. That will, and honestly, probably has messed with him a lot emotionally. Yeah. Do you think it, do you think, okay, do you think the Bloody Rose started recently, or do you think it's uh, reverberated ever since he was a child? Because if, if it's ever since he was a child, then he had to, like, live hiding in his room, like, covering his ears... Um, in order to, like, get the sound out of his head as he knows people are dying. That's... No, I think it... I don't think it's that bad. I think it's only been since he's... For as long as he's been Kiva. Fair enough. And also in the... But in that same vein, like, just knowing they're out there and knowing at any moment, like, you will have to go to save people, that would... That would give anyone anxiety. And, like, the special cocktail of every type of, like, mental disorder under the sun. Like, ranging from definitely depression, anxiety, and a whole other gamut of things. That is what to do and I. In the restaurant Eriko's family owns, Rook has finished killing everyone present, including Eriko and her father. The first time I saw this episode and I saw Eriko dead, like, I literally gasped. I was like, <gasps> it... It, I did not expect it. it. It was so wild to me that it would they would kill this character that we had been with for two episodes. Like it's one thing for to kill a character off in like the first five or ten minutes or so of one episode. It's another to like have a character be stalked and killed, you know. But for a character that we've gotten to know that we that is a character to be killed off like that is scary. Yeah, that's fair, fine if you feel that. I don't think I don't think we've known Eriko enough to long enough or well enough to really be emotionally affected by her getting killed. Yeah, well, I was at least like, and also to me, like Eriko dying after like we knew her for two episodes and like killing her off at the end of an episode, like makes it slightly more likely that someone like Kengo could get killed off. Slightly. But Wataru runs into the restaurant and is shocked to see that Daichan was a fangire all along. Knowing what he has to do, Wataru henshins into Kiva and tries fighting Rook. Rook summons a six-pillar Sabbath after stabbing through Kiva. Somehow, by the no idea how he, he could did just that. call on the souls of his fallen brethren, I guess. I wonder if it's a power that he inherently has that made him worthy of becoming Rook, or if uh, it's a power that he gained upon being Rook. Because, like, there is a slightly inherent power to being a member of the Checkmate 4, but 
like at the same time, in order to become one, you definitely have to be powerful. I don't know if it's a title inherit inherited on birth or hell. We don't even know how Fengars reproduce at this point. Oh, they fuck. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna spoil this right now. Fangires fuck. Rook stabs through Kiva with his claws. This knocks Kiva unconscious, so Kivat has to call Castle Doran as evacuation helicopter. Castle Doran flies in, but can't defeat the Six Pillar Sabbath without Kiva being fully conscious. However, Keisuke comes onto the sh- onto the scene. He henshines into Ixa and summons that construction crane mecha thingy from before. Okay, now now I'm going to say this. So Keisuke was like. I didn't lose, Ixa lost. With this new upgrade, I'll be able to beat uh, Kiva. Which means that Keisuke's plan was to, in the middle of a fist fight, summon this thing and have it just step on Kiva, I guess. Which is great, I love it. Like, 10 out of 10, you're doing great, sweetheart. <laughs> uh, call the, ex- uh, no, not the Ixalian. The powered, the powered Ixer, with only one E, by the way, P O W R D, P O W E R D. Uh, but with the powered Ixer, Ixa is able to destroy the Six Pillar Sabbath. Kiva gets inhaled by Castle Doran, which flies off. All right, it's Vor time, oh, baby. I, uh, I'm sorry, listeners. We're three hours into this recording, and I've gotten a bit loopy. We're an hour. Adam's Adam has cut out a lot of this episode. Most of the stuff I've cut has just been dirty jokes. He he cut out my 30-minute lecture on how it should be morally responsible of us to kill old people and feed them to children. To children, huh? Yeah. They're the ones that need the old meat the most. They need the wisdom in their blood, sure. Alright, I, I can't get it. I can't talk about this again. Not after I, not after I read out my entire college thesis. Uh-huh. We end the episode with present-day Jiro carrying an, an unconscious Wataru further into the castle. Which is super exciting because Wataru has... It's at this point that I remembered, like, because I, I know the broad strokes and a fair amount of minor details... And some shots that are seared into my mind. But I forgot, cause this is when I remember that Kiva has not directly interacted with the arms monsters yeah, yet. that's true. So we, we have no idea what their relation is. The next episode preview didn't seem to put it in a very amicable light. I don't really, I don't really watch the next time on, so I don't know how that shit was cut. I guess we'll see when I watch the next episode. But my writer of the week, uh, there wasn't a particularly standout character this time. So I'm just going to give it to Otoya for swallowing his pride and deciding to work with Jiro against Rook. Uh, I'm going to give it to Jiro uh, because he also swallowed his pride, gave it to... uh, Wait, did did I give it to him last episode? Yes, you did for... For getting some depth. Uh, fuck it. He, he, clean, clean sweep for me, for Jiro. Uh, uh, I'm giving it, he also swallowed his pride like, pride like Otoya, and you know, I want to mix it up a little for Mew. And also, just that sweet ass entrance in uh, present day, like 
uh, caring Wataru and like he's it, I think it's good and I think it's a good setup because this is technically the first three-parter we've gotten my monster of the week is again Rook for the same reasons as last time uh, I'll I say I'm gonna change your mind about Rook but honestly I understand your reasoning to, a lot uh, for me, my monster is going to be Toshi Inoue. Okay. For, uh, for completely removing, uh, Yuri's agency and being like, ha, women can't be common Riders. Watch out. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, you know what? Uh, uh, Adam, this episode title is going to be F you, uh, Toshiki Inoue. Mm, that's too on the nose. I, I, I don't care how on the nose it is. I want that man to know. Yeah. Although, little spoiler alert, uh, we are getting a new writer next episode. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. I didn't know there was more than just Kiva and Ixa. Writer. Oh. <laughs> well, you know, after Saber, I, I no longer differ- differentiate between common writers and writers of, <laughs> of fiction, so... Uh, also, this it's also the man that... Uh, Wrote Godspeed Love, uh, the way I introduced you to Common oh, Rider. okay. But yeah, uh, we'll head over to the Tarot Corner real quick. I'm giving a reversed Emperor to Rook. When reversed, the Emperor is indicative of a lack of discipline and excessive inflexibility. That, that's pretty good. The inflexibility especially. with If he were flexible, he would have killed everyone, but... No, he's got to adhere to the rules of this game he plays. And it's interesting how it's both a lack of discipline and inflexibility. Because, like, those are things that normally wouldn't be able to go together. But Rook doesn't have discipline. Like, he's following his own whims, but he's completely rigid in how he follows them. And that th- this is a perfect match. Like... Sun was kind of uh, it was a decent match, but like it was a best you like the best option match. This is a oh Rook was made for this uh, specific tarot, yep, the specific Arcana in its position. So what the hell's Lucifer medal? Uh, I'm gonna switch over to Ixa, and uh, I will uh, tell you something about uh, Ixa, specifically about Ixa's helmet. Uh, you know that uh. There's a little white section between the eyes on Ix's helmet. Yeah. That's the that's the Poisana filter. The white section between the eyes, it is a device that decomposes and purifies all toxins to supply safe air to the wielder. Huh. I mean, the name is pretty cool. Poisana filter. That's pretty good for a armor component. And it does exactly what it says on the tin. Not to mention viewership for this episode was... 5.2%. My episode rating is a 4 out of 10. I would have liked a much more satisfying introdu- introduction to one of our major villains. Instead, we got sort of a, a poor man's flowers for Algernon. This is the second time that you've compared something to flowers to Algernon, and we'll talk about it later, but I think I think we both have fundamental misunderstandings about... Fo- Anyways... <laughs> I will give it a five, partially because, yeah, it could have been handled a little better. Like, there are so many things I love, but I suppose seeing it from your perspective, Rook could have been more th- more threatening. 
And also uh, Toshiki Inoue completely doing my girl dirty. Rook could have been much hammier and just could have been a, a more over the top and sort of love to hate, but uh, he's a cold hand. He's just kind of a, a dull brute. He's not very entertaining to watch. I guess that's one of those difference of opinions thing. That I mean, I I like that we're having arguments and discussion about him. That's what makes this pod. If we both had the same opinions, this podcast wouldn't be interesting. Like. I'm sure uh, eventually we'll come across a villain I dislike that you like. Although I'm trying to think of any general level villains I disliked. I mean, to be fair, I have a very poor track record with disliking things. The first movie I ever disliked was Batman v Superman, and I eventually came around on it. Uh, However, the first movie that I hated and still hate with every fiber of my body is Suicide Squad. I haven't seen it. I hate that. I hate that. I hate that movie. It's complete trash. You can find me at Wit and Bridge Girl, although probably not anymore. I got a little burned out from it. The episodes are too long, and uh, basically we're taking a hiatus. But you can still uh, observe our backlog and probably one final episode I put out at Wit and Bridge Girl. And... Don't tell Vlad, and Vlad won't, even if Vlad listens to this, it'll be after I already bring it up, but I'm planning on asking him if he wants to start a Spider-Girl podcast. Because I, I think the number one problem I had with Wooden Bridge Girls is that both of us had read the material. That isn't, this isn't a conversation for On The Air. Adam, where can they find you? You can find us for this particular podcast at on Twitter at double underscore common, and you can find me at Pokemon Primeval, which is an actual play Pokemon RPG podcast in which we are currently in our second season exploring a possibility of the world of Pokemon if it were to all burn down. But we're trying to put it back together. Uh, Listen to it. It's good. Like, I listen to, like, a half of every other episode because that's just how I listen to podcasts, even serial ones. And I think it's good. So if you listen to it all the way, you'll fucking love it. Uh, where can they find us as a collective entity? You can find us as a podcast at anchor.fm. Uh, 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 uh. You can find us at Anchor, Breaker, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Spotify, and DoorDash. That's right. We do delivery. We, we do? I do, at least. I'll go right to your house and just reenact an entire podcast by myself. Oh, 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 okay. Don't just be safe, I guess. All right. And now we can hench in on uh, out of here. Hen! Shink!